Welcome to the Rochelle Podcast. As always, I am your host, Farouk Bello. And in this podcast episode, we are taking a deep dive into water. How toxic is water? How toxic is bottled water? How toxic is tap water? Should you even drink them? Or is there even a difference between the two of them? We also take a little bit of a dive into things like processed foods. How good or how bad are those for your health? We also talk about toxins and all the wonderful things into toxicology, which is uh, in short terms, the study of poison and uh, the day-to-day things that we do that may be considered harmful and how day-to-day interactions with multiple toxins can affect our health, both short-term and long-term. Now for that, I have Dr. Joe, who is the CEO and Chief Toxicologist at Superior Toxicology and Wellness, and also the co-founder of Twin Oxide. North American company who's working to improve the water quality in all aspects of life. They also heavily involved in the removal of carcinogens from treated water. And as you can expect, Dr. Joe is a man of toxicology, who, which is, as I said, study of poison. And he knows a lot about this. So we have an interesting conversation on multiple aspects of toxicity and uh, day-to-day life. So I hope you enjoy the podcast episode and I give to you, Dr. Joe. All right, welcome back to the Rooksell Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Robert Bello. And today's episode, we have Dr. Joe, uh, who is a the chief uh, toxicologist at Superior Toxicology and Wellness based out of Colorado. Am I right? Is that correct? Uh, in America? That is yeah, correct. Nice. So yes. I will let Dr. Joe introduce himself properly so I can give him the uh, full accreditation he needs and he can tell us a bit more about himself and what he does. How are you doing, doctor? Sure, I can do that. I am doing very well. I hope you are uh, doing well today too, Rook. I appreciate the invitation to come on the show. Right. So who is Dr. Joe? That's a very good question. And uh, the the easy answer is uh, Dr. Joe is a guy who has a PhD in pharmaceutical sciences and toxicology and 30 years experience with human exposure to drug products, to chemicals, and to microbials. And I have worked in academics. I have worked in industry. I have worked in pharmaceutical industry. And uh, it took me a certain interval of time, about six years, to make Dr. Joe realize that uh, Dr. Joe's mouth wasn't synonymous with success in corporate America. Because when people ask me what I think, I tend to tell them corporate America is not interested in hearing your opinion. They're asking and it's lip service. So uh, in about 2004, I got out of the corporate America game and opened my own practice, which is superior toxicology and wellness. And uh, since then, I've been doing a lot of pharmaceutical consulting. And I've always, the, the underlying trend has always been trying to find a new way to solve old problems. And in my uh, toxicology practice, I did a lot of occupational toxicology. And what does that mean? That means that it was my job to take care of the workers in the industry. Because if you think about the pharmaceutical industry, the folks that are making the tablets and the capsules, they're exposed to chemicals that are designed 
to have an effect on the human body. And if those employees provide a pathway of exposure, those chemicals are going to have their designed effect 100 times out of 100. So it was my job to set a safe limit of exposure for the employees when they're doing their job so that there's no increased risk of adverse effects. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense, actually. And you've been doing that for how many years now? uh, 30 years. You're doing that for 30 years now. Well, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's, and it's, it's uh, the, the, the second half of that, if you will, the other side, side B is Mm. uh, I also set limits for the pharmaceutical industry that um, talk about how much of drug A Mm -hmm. could be found in drug B before it's a problem for the end user of that drug. So that means you go to the pharmacy and you get your drug that you need to take for whatever condition you have. There could be something else in that drug. And as long as it's below some certain limit set by guys like me, everything's copacetic. (laughs) So those two things are called OELs and ADEs. You know, those are the bread and butter. You know, the other things I've done is, you know, the the pharmaceutical manufacturing has issues where things that aren't supposed to get in the drug stream get in there. And it's my job to justify whether or not they can keep the batch or they have to throw it away. And it's my job to also look at uh, degradation products where pharmaceuticals are put on stability and they run it through storage conditions to make sure it stays what it's supposed to be and not degrade into something else. So all of what I've done has always been in safety. It's been in employee safety. It's been in patient safety. And it's really been in wellness. So superior toxicology and wellness is really based in finding a better way to keep people happier, healthier, well, you know, more well, and uh, give back control of your own wellness so that people can eliminate the spiraling feeling that, uh, gosh, I'm taking multiple drug products. I don't know how I got here. I don't know if I need them all. Nobody has time to talk to me about it. What can I do? And I have a program for that too. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, that's really what I do and toxicology in general, study of poison. Yeah. I like that nice, nice and short summary of what you <laughs> <laughs> study of poison. And so I know we'll get exactly. into we'll get into a lot of the you know the drugs in a sec. But one thing that you know one, one big question that I think people listening as well we probably curious about is you know water. Everyone drinks water. You need water to live. Wherever you go, water is a very constant part of life in, in Nigeria. Absolutely. Uh, universal solvent. Universal solvent. There's a, there's a song by Fela Kuti, who's one of the Nigerian artists, who says water doesn't have an enemy because you can't, whatever you need, water is part of it. Now, we drink water. Every, ideally, you should be drinking loads of water. Some people don't drink water, but that's besides the be. point. <laughs> you have to drink water in your drinks and everything. But day-to-day water that we drink, uh, there are always, you know, if you go on the internet, you see places saying, oh, tap water is horrible for you. You know, tap water has too much this. Whereas some other places are saying, you know, tap water is pretty much the same thing as bottled water, where there's no difference in the toxicology because it's already filtered or 
you go to the original plant and you find out the same place they're giving you tap water is maybe the same place they're bottling your water that you uh, drink. So buying bottled water may be actually be uh, bad for you. Now, from a toxicology standpoint, is there any interesting things regarding you know tap water or the day-to-day water that we use? How is it bad? Is it good? And I know it's a bit different from you know America to UK, uh, where I'm based now. But on a from what you've seen so far in your experience, um, regards to water, is is there toxicity in water? Or? That's a great question. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question, and a perfect toxicologist answer to any question is it depends. <laughs> and of course, in this case, it depends. The water is only as good as the source. Yeah. And the water can be completely different from uh, obviously the UK to America, but even in the UK from one town to another to another because of the source of the water. You know, they're, they're digging the wells. Like the water is only as good as what's in it to begin with. And if you think mm-hmm. about America, uh, the water in Colorado is usually very high quality. You know, it's it's yeah. it's mountain runoff, That's it's melted snow, it's spring water, and you could have some contaminants because in these mountains there are some mines. Yeah. So if you get your water drawn downstream from some mine runoff, you can have some heavy metals. But then you look at water quality down in like South Texas or Alabama, Louisiana, or South Florida, the starting water is swamp water and i kid you not rook i was at a water plant in florida where they took a gallon like a translucent gallon milk jug and put it on their source well and they lifted up that gallon jug of water and it looked like a jug of mountain dew the yellow in that source water was because it was it was swamp water and there's they they, really what they're looking at is humic acids and humic acid is formed when organic material degrades Mm -hmm. and rots and that could be animal material that could be plant material that's mother nature's protein it all degrades down into humic acid and these these different chemicals that are in the source water give off the color so that's what you start with in some cases and the water treatment process is all about pulling out the color pulling out the odor pulling out the contaminants contaminants can be organics or contaminants can be heavy metals contaminants could be part of what they put into to clean it you know the the halogens the bromine and the chlorine can be contaminants in the water supply and it's all about limits how much of this stuff is left when the water purification plant says this is good water to drink and that's what comes out of everybody's taps and the tap water you know you can have dissolved solids in that tap water and that starts with what's in the water that they pull out of the well before it goes through any purification process and then what the water picks back up from the biofilm and all the distribution systems because they purify it at the plant but then they send it through these pipes that are just littered with biofilm and the biofilm is where all these nasty things live like the e coli the listeria the salmonella and all of this stuff that's where cholera lives that's where these uh the brain-eating amoebas live and and all of this stuff can be lurking in the distribution system and chlorine which is the primary agent that they use in purification of water chlorine free chlorine can combine with any organic and come up with these disinfection 
byproducts called trihalomethanes. Over time, the trihalomethanes are carcinogenic to humans. So over time, drinking tap water, unfiltered, unpurified, can potentially be carcinogenic. Is that something that's as scary? Yes. Is that something that's going to happen to everybody? No. No. But the potential is there to add on to the beast of burden. And humans, as you well know, Rook, live in a toxic soup of exposure. There's stuff in the water, there's stuff in the air, there's stuff in the food, there's stuff in your medicines, there's stuff, I mean, it's just physical stuff, like the new 5G phone stuff, everybody's saying it's a microwave and it's going to cook you, and, you know, there's science to both sides of that, so you got to read both sides, decide what you like, but fact of the matter is, you know, little old Dr. Joe, little old Rook is sitting in the middle of all of these exposures, and if you can eliminate one of those exposures, are we going to be better off? The answer is yes. Okay. So, you know, uh, that's the, the argument with water. It's, it's the old saying, garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> yeah, right? No, yeah. You know, you don't put the effort in, you're not going to get you're the desired the results. Yeah. So, exactly. So, like you, you, what, what you can do yeah. is that you can go to your municipality or town and get the water quality report. They publish it annually. And you can look at the limits of all kinds of various contaminants in your water. Every town should have it. Nowadays, you can go online to the town's Mm -hmm. website and probably find that water quality report. Mm -hmm. And that is your baseline of how good your water is. And you are absolutely right when you're talking about tap water versus bottled water versus what's good versus what's not. And it's all about the reputable companies and you got to do your research in, in which, which bottle water you like and which uh, tap water you like. And what I tell everybody, basically the thing you can do for water, yeah. one of the best water filters around on the market, you can get it from Amazon, you can get it from Target, you can get it from Walmart. I have one in my fridge. It's called a zero water filter. Zero water it's filter. a five stage filter that they, they send you a total dissolved solids meter with the filter and you test the water over time. And then when it gets over a certain number that they tell you what it is, you change the filter. And when you have that five stage filter that takes out all the heavy metals, takes out fluoride, takes out chlorine, takes out all of the, the, the organics. And you really taste what water's supposed to taste like. (laughs) It's a lot easier to drink more of it. Uh, I like I like that you because I read somewhere and, and you could yeah I read somewhere that what is it almost ninety percent of the human population is chronically dehydrated <laughs> and one of the best things that you can do to improve your own wellness yeah. is get enough rest good sleep and get hydrated I mean good water. people do those two things and you're going to see an increased performance from your body and you know that being no. in the medical field and, and it's easy and, and the patients you see that come in you know they can't bend over and touch their toes because you think they're going to break because they're so dry rotted from lack of water <laughs> yeah. dehydration is I mean am I wrong one. no dehydration you're absolutely right dehydration and sleep you know there, there are basic uh, you know basic elements to well, quote unquote good health you know water drinking enough water is one of the core fundamentals you know getting enough sleep is a core fundamentals if anyone who's listening to this podcast Huge. knows uh, you know i've touched on sleep how important sleep is uh, 
because people people sometimes cheat themselves say i can get four hours of sleep and be functioning you probably can't you know you probably are giving yourself shortening and the cycle of not allowing your body to repair hydration is also a big one and when you're talking about you're talking about water which is a big one you know getting bottled water some people think you know get most of your hydration from uh, sodas drinks i don't particularly drink you know soft drinks that much anymore um because i don't know the water and soft drinks and that's some people's justification you know i I don't you're a toxicologist how effective is that water i can give the answer you know but (laughs) you're only here from you you well if you rate if you rate a glass of water as a one like you're getting a hundred percent of that value, yeah. you know, coffee and teas are probably about 90% and yeah. sodas uh, are probably closer to 50%, uh, you know, green teas, maybe between, you know, 90 and 95%. But then you get into the alcohol, you know, beer is, is negative. I mean, you got to drink a lot more water to recover from the beer and the, and the, the bourbon and stuff that you like to do, but that's, you can plan for that. You know, I mean, it's just, we're recording this on New Year's Day, so I'm sure most of the population today around the globe has a headache. Well, that <laughs> headache is from dehydration yeah. because they were they were drinking too much whiskey or drinking too much beer last night, and they didn't drink a bunch of water, water afterwards. Yeah. It's a very simple process that gets overlooked. And, you know, the fact of the matter is the, the sugar that are in those those it just it destroys people you know i mean it goes into the whole what is it the whole processed foods argument about uh the amount of sugar that are in these beverages and that uh, that affects your whole insulin regulation system and insulin resistance and and you know it's just uh the amount of water is critical and you know there's products out there chlorine dioxide is up and coming in water purification okay. and one of the best ones is called twin oxide it's made in the netherlands over there in in the european continent and they just broke into the states a couple years ago but uh the the netherlands the or the twin oxide success story is there's a water plant in burundi africa mm-hmm. that does 60 million gallons of drinking water per day and the only product they use to purify that water is twin oxide. And so that in and of itself shows the simplicity of the process. You don't need hugely complicated processes to provide good, drinkable, clean water to massive amounts of people. And Water is a basis of life. You know that. Water is a basis of life. So why, you know, before we move on to it, I want to talk about food. Why we're still on this, because I think that's interesting. I've not heard about this. Was it chlorine dioxide or was it chlorine what? And why isn't it more readily used in, you know, water uh, yep. populations? Is it regulation-wise? Is that the main uh, limiting factors for now? Historically, mm-hmm. historically, uh, chlorine or chloramines have been used. Okay. And it's my understanding that the continent of Europe has banned the use of chloramines for water purification because chlorine results in carcinogens in your drinking water. Chloramines results in carcinogens and mutagens in your drinking water. So those are fancy scientific words that mean carcinogen means could eventually result in cancer in the human. Mutagen means that it, it, uh, it, compounds that are capable of combining with your DNA and RNA and enzymes and macromolecules and changing your genetic structure, which then leads to cancer. So um, when towns and municipalities are using chlorine and chloramines, 
they can kill the microbes that are disease-causing pathogens in the water right. supplies. But they have these disinfection byproducts that the engineers and accountants say if they're not there at a certain level, then we're going to be fine as long as we're below the line in the sand. Mm-hmm. Well, the line in the sand argument really gets beat up when we talk about the entire picture of toxic exposure. So uh, if that's the only thing that humans are exposed to, then yeah, maybe it won't result in any adverse effects. But when you put everything else in the mix, then, you know, getting rid of those carcinogens in your drinking water seems to make a lot of sense. Now, chlorine dioxide is the up and coming molecule. They've been using chlorine dioxide for purification of water for probably 120 years but they've always had to use a chlorine dioxide generator. Okay. And those generators start with several hazardous materials. And if they got out of balance, they explode. Now, twin oxide, the product that I bring into the United States, okay. is a two-powder process. It's a batch process. There's no generator. It's the same every time, and it's safe, and it's predictable, and you can generate exactly what you need to put into your dosing systems and purify your water, all based on residual levels with no zero disinfection byproducts. THMs go to zero when twin oxide is used in systems and there's no chance of explosions because of bad generators. So the new generation of of chlorine dioxide, twin oxide in particular, is going to take the water purification world by storm in the next probably five years. Yeah, I think the, the explosion part is a big part. You see the way my eyes open when you said it could explode. I'm like, okay, yeah, I see why there's a limiting factor there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and I think it'll catch on in Europe faster because uh, the Europeans are so much better than the Americans when it comes to everything chemical. Regulations, reuse restrictions, tracking, you know, disposal of. I have so much respect for the Europeans because they get it. And there's still this cavalier attitude in America that that we can do whatever we want. And there's plenty of resources beyond that. And it's just it's it's lagging in how yeah. we think about things. Is that, I mean, that's a fair way to say it. So. Yeah, that's a fair way to say it. It's lagging me however you think about it. You know, you, you met, you, we talked, you were talking about, you know, carcinogens, uh, processed foods. Now this is the next part I'm interested in hearing about, you know, uh, sure. when I was, when I was studying physiotherapy, we had, um, we had a, we had a uh, topic once on, you know, a little bit about nutrition and about food and stuff like that. We had, you know, processed foods, uh, Actually, this is probably another thing I've learned myself, you know, saying processed foods, you know, on the carcinogen level, some of them are probably uh, on, correct me if I'm wrong on how true is this, you know, some of the processed foods are in the same uh, level as I think some nuclear, uh, some nuclear materials, like in le- in terms of how toxic or how carcinogenic are they to the body? Or basically, you know, some processed foods are bad. Now, the question is how bad? Because on a day-to-day basis, the average, I don't have the statistics for this, but I'm pretty sure based off of, you know, knowing things about, you know, people eat a lot of processed foods. You go to your supermarket, a lot of the foods. <laughs> yeah, they're you don't cheap use, and easy. They're cheap and easy. And that's the big thing. That's why they're easy to access. You're easy to get processed foods. You're quick easy to make easy to eat cheap that's the formula for anyone yeah, absolutely who just wants to get a quick yeah. food 
My question is, you know, how bad is it? Because we understand that, you know, processed food is not the greatest. Some people say, okay, we eat a little bit moderation, you know, eat a little bit. I'm more of the, I'm, I would put myself in extreme where I just try to avoid processed as much as I can. But, and then I, again, I'm extreme uh, towards that side. Um, so yeah, you got to read the labels for sure. If, if you're in the, yeah, go ahead and ask. Exactly. Exactly. No, if you go read the labels, I always look, one of the things I always look for is, how many ingredients are there? If there are too many ingredients, I try and reduce it and say, maybe I step away from it. The less ingredients is a simple thing I put in my mind. If I want to try something, I look at the back, I say, okay, this maybe this new oat milk or something, this new product, one, two, three, four. Okay, yeah, that's fair enough. And I can under- and I know what those ingredients are. When I look at something and I see a whole <laughs> lot of uh, jargon and things, I'm like, stabilizer, B3X, gum, blah. I'm like, okay, I don't know what any of this means. <laughs> However, I'm if you can't pronounce it, do you want to eat it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, the question yeah. is, you know, the processed foods so, we get on a dairy basis, how, what's, what's up with them? How bad are they? And again, it depends. You know, it, again, it's you know, it depends. That's exactly right. Yeah, the did. dose makes the poison is a mantra in toxicology. You know, it's just, and basically what that means is that something is that is exquisitely toxic can be non-toxic if the concentration is low enough. Okay. You know, like cyanide or something. Cyanide's used in the gold mining industry safely all the time, but high enough concentrations, people are going to drop over dead. And then, uh, you know, something that is generally non-toxic can be highly toxic, like water. If, for instance, you know, that's uh, um, the the drug of abuse called ecstasy. It's popular with the younger generation in the rave parties. Well, a toxic reaction to ecstasy is an extreme thirst in these young kids just drink massive volume of water, dilute their cellular electrolytes yeah. until they lose their cell-cell communications and they drop dead. So it's always about the dose makes the poison. And you're absolutely right. When you're reading the label, the more longer list of ingredients, the less you should eat that. You know, it, at Superior Toxicology and Wellness, my mantra, because most people eat way more than they need to to survive, you know, my simple mantra is eat half and mostly plants and you're going to be okay. You know, and that's really advice that I've taken personally. And because it happened to me, you know, you, you wake up, you look in the mirror and you say, oh, my God, who is this fat guy I'm looking at? And, yeah, you know, it's like all of a sudden you're 300 pounds and you don't remember the last 100 pounds. That's called daily life. You know, yeah. it's like it's called adulthood. It's called Put family first and take care of your kids and doing everything for somebody else and completely forgetting about yourself. And that's where these processed foods slip into your diet because they're quick and they're fast and they're cheap. And it's they're filled with additives and they're filled with preservatives. If there's a bunch of preservatives in your food to extend the shelf life of your food, there's going to be effects of those chemicals on the body. Now, you know, they've, they've done a lot of talk studies and they've done a lot of stuff to suggest that high levels of these products are bad for people. Yeah. What they haven't done is what about a constant exposure to a lower concentration? Constant. The answer to that is unknown. Constant and it just adds into the cumulative exposure. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole that whole field is called hormesis and it's just subtherapeutic doses of whatever you're being exposed to can be drugs it can be food chemical additives it could be byproducts it could be anything and it really came about 
as a side effect of pharmaceuticals in the environment. You know, people get prescribed all these drugs, they take them and they pee them out. Where do you, where's that go? It goes to the publicly treated, you know, the treatment works and then goes into the rivers and then goes to the next town and it goes into the water intake supplies. And they're finding low levels of, of drug products that are in the environment. Hormesis, that's the name of the science. Okay for constant exposure to low levels of chemicals and the jury is still out we don't really know what happens and i I can i can back it up by just telling you a little bit of theory okay humans are made up of billions of cells and those cells when they're happy create happy tissues and happy tissues create happy organs and happy organs create happy organ systems and happy organ systems create happy humans it all goes down to the cellular level. And if you can keep your cells happy and healthy, that's the good building block for everything else biochemically in your body. And the fact of the matter, Rook, yeah. is every cell has a little bucket of defense mechanisms. Yeah. There's lots of them there. But for the most part, the poster child that most people have heard about is glutathione. Glutathione, I've heard about So. That glutathione it's it's it what that does is it goes around like a pac-man and eats up oxygen radicals so the oxidative stress is eliminated by glutathione and as long as there's a defense mechanism still left in this bucket when you're having this constant battle against Uh oxidative stress or wherever it comes from because you can breathe it in you can eat it you can drink it it can be in your food in a lots of different areas but as long as there's some defense mechanism left in the cellular bucket, the cell's going to be okay. When that bucket gets empty, depleted, that's when those oxygen radicals start hitting other things like DNA, RNA, enzymes, cellular macromolecules. And when that happens, that's when bad things start happening to the body. And that could be because of something bad in the water, something bad in the air, something bad in the processed foods, something bad because you smoke or something bad because you had 15 Budweiser's last night, not enough water, something bad because you've been operating on two to four hours of sleep for the last month trying to get that project done. Because to keep that bucket of defense mechanism filled, you need to be hydrated, well-rested, eat well, not taking a bunch of extraneous drug products. Because those drug products have side, they hit that same cellular defense mechanism. They're doing the one thing you need it for, but they're also doing all kinds of other stuff. And it's this whole picture of exposure that your cells have to deal with. They have one bucket of defense stuff, and they take care of everything out of that same bucket. And if you set yourself up for failure because you're not sleeping, you're not drinking water, you're eating processed foods instead of whole foods and raw foods and i mean the list goes on and on and it all builds up to your current snapshot of health versus how many uh how many defense mechanisms are in that cellular bucket and so you gotta keep the balance going and everything you do every step you take to keep that balance going works in your favor the more water you drink instead of Coke or Red Bull or Monster or whatever, you know, the, the more salads and apples you eat instead of Oreos and, and, and uh, you know, boxes of garbage from the middle of the grocery store, you know. And I, I've never heard about the, the nuclear argument. So 
it could very well be true. I'm not saying it's not true. I just haven't heard about it. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's like, why does a Twinkie last so long? It's because it's chock full of, I mean, they say that would survive the nuclear Holocaust for crying out loud, but who the hell would want to eat one of those? Yeah. When I, when I, when I see those things, you know, I've seen them put, uh, seen videos of them put like maybe a McDonald's burger and they say it can last, or they'll put maybe chicken nuggets and they'll say, alas, it does not degrade. Well, <laughs> you can leave it out for, you can leave it under your bed for a very long time. It'll still come back and you'll be like, it looks almost the same. <laughs> This time I think scare me. I'm just like, okay. That- I, you know, I remember uh, exactly. I did a, I helped my daughter do a science project. I think she was in second or third grade or something. And she's, she's 22 now. So a long time ago. And uh, she was wanted to do this science project on whether or not things melted, you know, so she had an ice cube and she had something that totally wouldn't melt. And then the thing that surprised me as a scientist was an ice cream sandwich. She put an ice cream sandwich out and that thing did not melt. That's not ice cream. <laughs> and we eat these things, Rook. That's <laughs> not ice cream. It doesn't melt. That's something, that's something it can't else. be ice cream if it no. didn't melt. No so, no you know, it's, and it goes back to reading labels. It really goes back to reading labels. And then you got you to gotta go take the next step. And when you look at the ingredients on labels, look it up and see what it's for. What is it stabilizing? What is it preserving? Why do they have that there? Because foods are better today than yeah. they have been in decades past. You know, a lot of the carcinogens came in the dyes and the colorings. That's why you didn't have red M&Ms for a long time because the red dye in azo dye was carcinogenic. You know, and it's just it's just these little things, but they they found different ways around it. They found safer ingredients. They found safer chemicals, but you still can read the labels and you can make a conscious choice because, you know, yeah, it's fast and it's convenient in the middle of the supermarket and it's cheap. But if you do things right, vegetables and whole foods are also cheap. Yeah, I like I like, I like that one actually. We see a good thing we're talking about foods. You know, I you know there is a very big um, okay. Uh, before I get into this, you know, people plant based eat is a I I get this every time I say when I when I talk to someone I say okay I eat more whole foods and I eat more I eat more plant based. They say oh you're a vegan. I say I, I eat I'm more plant based. Let's let's leave it at that. I eat more fruits and more vegetables. I try my best. You know, cook. I don't want to get into the whole am I vegan or not? I'm not. Good. <laughs> But however, you know, people always think it's expensive to eat more plant-based food. And I always, I always fight and I say it's not as expensive as you think. Obviously, if you wanted right. to go for the highest end, you know, plant-based products, it will be expensive. The same way if you went for, I don't know, sirloin steak, I assume that, or the highest grade, the highest grade of steak, it can be expensive to eat or a highest grade chicken. It's the same way for, you know, for plants, whole foods. You can get them, you can get them not that expensive when you know what you're looking for. It's when you don't know what you're looking for or don't know how. And no doubt, you know, if you switch from or if you move into a more, you know, eating more plant-based, eating more plants, fruits, vegetables, the initial process will be a bit different because what you're accustomed to over time is, let's keep in mind, I grew up in uh, Lagos, Nigeria. Nigeria is a country where uh, whenever I tilt a day, if I tell any of my, you know, cousins, if whenever, whenever I tell them, oh, I eat more plants or they give me, you know, chicken, I'm like, yeah, I don't really feel like eating it today. They're always looking at me in shock, like, oh, are you okay? How, how can you not eat this? But I grew up eating, you know, very much meats and everything but when i grew came to university i started switching my diet a bit and during the initial phase it was 
it was difficult in the sense that you're not used to you, you don't want to just take off something off yeah. the plate. You need to find a replacement for it. And that's what I think people always think, oh, I've been you eating can't. rice this, you just yeah. take out this. It's not that, that easy. You need to put back something else in there and they'll go into protein. But yeah, it's a it's a curve. And once you, you know what you're doing, it becomes so much easier. Like I don't even feel a difference in the sense of what I'm eating. I can go in the kitchen now, cook what right. I need to cook. Exactly. But and true. Radical changes set people up for failure. Yeah, absolutely. You can't change more than one thing at a time because I mean New Year's New Year's is a is a typical since we're recording on Newsday, I don't know when it'll air, but but you know, everybody makes yeah. these resolutions and, and most of them are, are gone before the end of the month because yeah. they try to change too much too quick and if if you severely limit your diet it's gonna suck so bad that you're gonna say there's no way in heck i'm gonna i'm done go back with this. forget it i can't do it you know it, when you look at diet it's, it is kind of simple there's three groups you know there's protein carbohydrates and fats and all of these fad diets to try to limit a group you see some initial success followed by failure followed by regaining and it, it there's no staying power in it because a you're depriving yourself your oh, body your diet of something that your body actually needs and b you resent yourself from having success because what you cut out is what you start to crave and your body will decrease a little bit in body weight but then it's fighting against you because it's got a set point that it likes to be. And, and resetting those set points is the key to success in diets. And it's the most difficult thing for a human body to do. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's all about insulin resistance and insulin levels. And your body builds insulin resistance with the more garbage you put into it. The stuff that spikes your insulin levels, that has the processed foods in it, that has, that makes the insulin go sky high and stay there. So like that, uh, like that diet that says eat smaller meals eight times a day, that's not going to work either because all that does is jack up your insulin level and keeps it on a plateau all day long. So what you need to do really is you can manage your portion control and you got to get out and, and move Movement. the body mass that you've collected over the 50 years you've been alive. <laughs> so it's diet and it's exercise. But the bottom line is you got to give your body extended periods of not being washed in insulin. And the way you do that is intermittent fasting. Mm. You knew it was coming, didn't you? I had a feeling. I had had a feeling it was intermittent and, fasting was coming. <laughs> Shoot, tell us about intermittent fasting. And, you know, the, again, because it wasn't the call, best way know, to do that is the lag. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, because I know you know I'm uh, I'm yeah. a physiotherapist. I always try and stay you know what I what I know, but I always like to know more. Hence, why I'm doing this whole podcast. Intermittent fasting. I've heard people sure, absolutely. talk about the pros you, you try to eat dinner the same time every night. Okay. Is that you know? Yeah. The, the easiest way to add it in is try to eat your dinner, you know, in the same two or three hour window every night. And then you go to bed and you got the all night long. And then the next morning, just push off breakfast until as long as you can. That's oh. the easiest way to introduce intermittent fasting, because you're going to get at least a 12 hour 
maybe more, you know, if you can get 16 hours, you know, so I eat dinner between five and 8 PM every night. And then I try not to eat breakfast till at least 10 o'clock. If I can push it off till 12, even better. And that gives your body really a washout period for insulin. And when that washout period is going on, your body gets a little bit of a reset and is able to chip away on the insulin resistance that has developed over time. So that, you know, it goes against the food industry that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Never skip breakfast. (laughs) Do some research into that. It comes from the food industry. That advice comes from the people selling you breakfast. I like, I, like, think I, like, about it. 100%, I like that one, you know, as I said, I've had multiple, I've had different people on this podcast, you know, you're talking about different types of fasting. And the interesting thing is, you know, as you said, that one is a big one, you know, people are selling you breakfast, they want you to eat breakfast. It's, it's, it, it's not rocket science. If yeah. I was selling you something, I would want you to do it when I tell you to do it. <laughs> it's like the people who make exactly like the food industry made the food pyramid, but we won't get into that. <laughs> And said, this is this and this and this because they want you to eat all of this. That's a different talk for sure. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I, I recently read a book called The Obesity Code. It's by uh, uh, an MD wrote that book. I think his name is Jason Fung. But uh, The Obesity Code talks about the relationship between insulin levels, insulin resistance, and why nearly every diet on the market will eventually fail. It's a great book. And the fact of the matter is it it deals with the elephant in the room and the fact that once you get fat, your body is designed to get you fatter. You have to fight tooth and nail every single day to reset the hormones to get around going from fat to obese. And the fight is not going to be easy. You have to keep taping, have to keep taking step number one. Take step number one. If you fall off the wagon, take step number one again. If you fall off the wagon, take step number one again. And the easiest way to do that is hydration, sleep, and a little bit of intermittent fasting. Because then when you start to see those results, that's when you work on your activity level. You know, go buy a dog if you don't have one, because then it's going to get your fat ass off the couch and walking around (laughs) the block. You know? It's going to get you moving. And the fact of the matter is, uh, yeah, the, the, the old mantra is if your dog is fat, you don't get enough exercise. <laughs> I like that's an interesting one because you're not walking the dog as much. Yeah, getting up and moving that's a, yeah. that's a great, it's a great top uh, talking point. All right, so I think we've covered quite a bit now. So this is the first part of the podcast. So thank you very much again, Dr. Joe. We're going to continue this podcast in another second in the next episode. So uh, if you have any questions about this podcast. I will put everything in the link in the description below as well as the outro. I'll put Dr. Joe's where you can reach him. Uh, but don't worry, everything will be also mentioned in the second podcast segment. So, till next week on the Rooksell Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. And as always, if you have any questions or any remarks on anything you want to know regarding each of the podcast episodes, feel free to reach out at Rooks Health on all social media platforms and check the description for more details on uh, today's guests. But till next week on the Rooks Health Podcast.